Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. To Galatians 4, we'll, we'll continue where we left off last week. He says in verse 8, However, at that time when you did not know God, he said you were slaves to those things which were by nature really are no gods. He says, but now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and the, and the worthless and elemental things to which you desire, he says, to be enslaved all over again? He says, you observe days and months and seasons. You're falling back into the Jewish calendar to do all of these rituals. He says, but I fear for you that perhaps I've labored over you in vain. He says, I beg you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. He says, you've done me no wrong, but, but you know that it was because of bodily illness that I first preached the gospel to you in the first, the first time. He says, and, and that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as even as Christ himself. He says, where, where then is this sense of blessing that you once had? For I bear witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. And, and, and have I therefore become your enemy by telling you the truth? Now, Paul, he's pointing out something that's really interesting. He's actually pointing out the condition of their hearts. That when he first came to them, we, we know just from reading the text here, there was some condition that was, you know, a problem for Paul with his eyes. And it was in the historical writings, not in the Bible, but in the secular writings, there was a notation, in a man named Josephus that wrote around the time of Jesus. He noted that around the Mediterranean region, if you were along the seashore, there was a lot of guys getting this thing that, that it, it kind of makes the eyes to weep and ooze. And the only solution they had was go inland, get away from the water, the moisture, go in and to where it's drier, more arid. And for some reason that helped, you know, the body to cope with this oozing. Well, some have suggested Paul might have had that very malady visiting him when he was on his missionary journey. And you'll notice on his missionary journey, his track as you follow the path on his second journey that he's there and then he cuts inland and goes inland to the drier what we call the drier highlands you know where it's a little bit it might be it and he's he says here i came to you at first because i was suffering but you didn't treat me bad because i was suffering you you treated me like i was sent as an angel of god he had such compassion and such a sense of blessing. He says, I tell you, you would have given me your very eyes. if that That's how much compassion you had. But is he saying this in a way that he's commending them on good job? You're, you've stayed compassionate? Now, those of you that read ahead, you already know. Let's just do it and see what he says. He says, now, verse 16, now have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? He said, they eagerly seek you, seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out in order that you might seek them. 
But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner. And not only when I'm present with you, he says, my children with whom I am again in labor until Christ be formed in you. He says, but I could wish myself to be present with you now, but that I could to, to change my tone. He says, for I am perplexed about you. Now, Paul, remember, is writing this epistle from jail. And he's, he's perplexed because their attitude has changed. They went from being really compassionate people that cared about him to now they're kind of become judgmental. You ever run into Christians that used to be really merciful and something happened along the way and all of a sudden they're, I don't know, they think God's not really doing the job or something, so they're going to help him out. Let me help you out, God. I'll help you judge. These people are screwed up. They, they need some fixing. Look what Paul said. I need to back up to, to two of the first verses I read to you. Go back to verse 8. He says this. He says, however, at that time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those things which by nature are no gods. But now you have come to know God. Or rather, pay attention here, or rather to be known by him. Doesn't, this is one of the verses that, how many of you when you were a new Christian started reading the New Testament from the beginning? Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Some of you were encouraged to read John's gospel first, but I was one of those ones, I just cracked it open and started at Matthew. And I started reading the gospel of Matthew, and I got to this story about this ten virgins. Five, it says, were wise, five were foolish. And the five wise ones that said kept their lamps with the, with the wick trimmed and the oil full, and they had extra oil, and they were waiting for this wedding feast. So that when the bridegroom called, come, you know, time for the, the wedding, they were ready to jump up and trim their lamps and uh, the wicks and fill to the oil and get into the wedding procession. And they get up to the wedding procession. They, they, they go all the way up to the gate and, and they're let in. And they go in to enjoy. And in Matthew 25, I want to read this to you. It says, then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were foolish, but five were prudent. And those that were foolish took their lamps, but they took no oil with them. But the prudent ones took oil and flasks along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight, there was, a, there, it, it, there was the call, Behold, the bridegroom comes, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish one said to the prudent, Give me some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. And the prudent answered and said, No, there will not be enough for us and for you too. Go instead to the dealers and get some of your own oil. And they went away to, to go make the purchase. And it says, And while they were gone, what happened? The bridegroom came. And those that were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Now later the other virgins also came to the door. They, they said, Lord, open up for us. And this voice declared, it says, Jesus said, But he answered and said, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Therefore Jesus said, Be on your alert, for you do not know the day nor the hour. <laughs> 
Be ready for that coming of the Lord. And, and, and this is an admonition to the church because, guys, we're, we're supposed to be those lights. Let, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they'll see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Do you guys realize that you may be the only light of the Lord, the only, the only illumination to so They may never read the scripture. They're looking at your life. How you live is the demonstration of God to them. And we can't really shine brightly for the Lord. If, if you look, the analogy says we're, we're like a lamp. But what does the lamp need to, to burn brightly? The oil. And in the Old Testament, what was the oil representative of? The Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus said, I'm, don't, they were all sad he was going to leave. He said, don't be, let your heart be troubled. I go to the Father. And it's to your advantage, he says, I will send you the Holy Spirit. You know, when Jesus was on this earth, he was stuck in one location with just those guys around him. But he says, guys, it's to your, they were all bummed when he said, I'm leaving. But he said, well, when I leave, I'll send my spirit. Now, is the Holy Spirit bound to one location? Can he only be with just one person at a time? No, he'd be with all of us. That's why it's to our advantage. We get this spiritual oil, the oil of God's spirit, his Holy Ghost, that helps us to burn brightly. Now, the foolish virgins, they had the lamp, but what were they lacking? The oil. You know, some Christians today, I hate to say this, especially in Western Christianity, we actually teach all you need is Jesus and you don't really need the spirit. Did, did you know there's groups that actually teach, yeah, those things of the Spirit, well, we believe they had that back then because they needed it, but we don't need that today because, you know, we have the fullness of all understanding. And I can't even fathom that, to me, that's one of the most, talk about cheapening the gospel. You know, that takes away all the, all the power that's available to us. As, I mean, it's his Spirit says that gives us strength, right? His Spirit gives us comfort. His Spirit leads us and guides us and teaches us. You know, one thing that's really cool is that, and all I can think of, you keep reminding me of this verse, what you said in John's Gospel. If Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, ask anything in my name that your joy may be made full. And you know, there's a lot of Christians today that have backslidden that sin has crept into their lives and the joy of their salvation that they once have has diminished. And the sad part about that is there's a direct correlation. The joy of the Lord, the psalmist declares, is our strength. If you don't have joy, guess what happens to your spiritual strength? Your meter just goes <laughs> flat line. Uh, it's dead. And they have no, there's, there's so many Christians today struggling like, I just don't have any strength. I don't have any joy. Well, pray like David. Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Maybe you got sucked into a group that taught you you had to do a bunch of push-ups for Jesus. You had to do spiritual works. You had to go on missions. You had to teach Sunday school. You hate teaching Sunday school, but they make you. Have you ever run into some Christian that had that experience, by the way? They'll, they'll generally backslide. Nothing worse than putting a Christian in that is not their calling to teach Sunday school. The kids know right away. Like, oh, they stink, Dad. I, I have inner spies, my own kids tell me. They are not called cool to teach Sunday school. 
when the person is called to do it, something about when it's that thing what God has called you to do. When, when you are really called to teach Sunday school, there's a joy that you get, even though it's a lot of work and it can be a headache and the kids can be out of unruly. You get done, and you're just like, wow, that was cool. You know, Mary's been in Thailand now over three years teaching English as a second language to the orphans there. And she she shared with me that a year ago she prayed with a young boy to receive the Lord. And that that was like one of the most glorious after two years of laboring there. She was thinking, am I really making an impact? We had her on, on the FaceTime while we were doing the study on Friday night. And so she's listening in and she shared that that little boy has shared Jesus with his whole Buddhist family, and now they have all become Christians. So I go, so was it worth it to take that time with that one little kid? Now there's a whole family that has been introduced to salvation. What a glorious thing. I mean, this is, this is what it's all about. And to be honest, I don't think she could have done it without God's Spirit strengthening her, because she's had a lot of ups and downs and struggles. And, and the Lord... When he gives us his spirit, his spirit gives us a, a, it's like a spring, a well of living water. It says it springs up within us and it brings life and, and refreshment and, and excitement to our whole Christian walk. And why would the church teach, yeah, they used to have that fountain available, but it ain't around anymore. I mean, who came up with that wicked teaching? Of course, God's, the, the scripture says God Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he's the same, do you think the Holy Spirit changed? He morphed? Oh, yeah, he was real powerful back then, but he, he gave up his powers. Or he's not really around. That is a lie. The devil wants you to believe that. The Lord I serve, he told me be wise, like one of these wise ones. Because the wise ones, it said, kept an extra flask of oil. They didn't just get enough to put in their lamp. They had extra so that as it burned down, they could, could, they could get a refill. And they, were, they had that oil of God's spirit in their lives. And when the, when the bridegroom called and said, come on in, they were ready to go in. Now, the other ones still were lamps, but what was missing? The oil. What tells me, this parable says, basically, oil is pretty important. And if that oil represents the Spirit, then, then the Holy Spirit is important for you. You need His Spirit. Paul would write to the Corinthian church, don't you guys know that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit? You know, God is so cool. He has not ordained that, that His Spirit dwells in buildings, physical buildings, but rather that He dwells in us. And we're the portable buildings. For God. When someone is in, in need, God can say, Jan, I need you over there. And he could just send his spirit in this contained vessel, this lamp full of oil, and say, bring life to them. They need it. And he can move us into place where we're, have any experience those, what those divine appointments I was talking about, where he puts the person right in front of you and he gives you Oh, gosh, you even say verses you didn't even know you memorized. They just come pouring out. Anyone ever had that happen? You're, you're sharing something about the Lord, and you, out comes a verse. You're like, I, when did I memorize that? Just flow. That's his spirit. 
When people say, prove to me there's a God, I like, you don't understand how, how many times he has brought to my remembrance things that Christ has spoken. I know there's a God. He, he can quicken my mind. When I'm in the foggiest of state, he can still make it come out. And I've come to learn that the only thing you said is ask in Jesus' name. Up to then, they had not asked in his name. And Jesus said, try this. Ask in my name anything of the Father and see what he does. That your joy might be full. Why don't we teach this next generation that if they need something, just ask God in whose name? Jesus's. And let God answer. And God, will God answer when we ask? Did he make it ask and do 10 spiritual push-ups? Do some steps of the law? No, he said just ask. What did Jesus say? Ask and you shall, might, maybe receive. Ask and you might possibly have it, give it, no. Knock and maybe someone will open the door, no. What did he say? You ask and you shall receive. You knock, what happens? The door will, you, you, all you have to do is seek, Jesus said, and you, you shall find. We, we made it too mysterious, too hard. And when I read this verse about these virgins that he says, depart from me, I, I do not know you. This was, I was a new Christian. I freaked out. I was like, and then you read further in the chapter and he, he's the great judge that separates the sheep from the goats and all the sh sheep on the right and all the goats on the left. And to all the sheep come in, you, when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. When I was sick and in prison, you visited me and. They said, when did we do that? When you did, did it to the least of my brethren, you did it to me. And I read that, and, I, and the other guys, he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. When I was sick, when I was hungry, when I was thirsty, you didn't take care of me at all. No compassion. Depart from me. Now, I read this chapter, and I was freaked out. I was like, I never want to hear Jesus say, depart from me. And I never want him to say, you're not coming in. I don't know you. It set me on a course to read this book to find where is the verse that says how to make sure that he, it's not me know him, okay? That's not it. I need the verse that says he knows me. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Starting verse 2, if any man supposes he knows anything, he knows not yet as he ought to know. In other words, we don't have it all down. But the next verse, verse 3 of 1 Corinthians chapter 8 says, But if any man loves God, he is known by him. doesn't say if any man went to seminary, or if any man went on missions, or if any man gave to the church, or if any man did... Taught Sunday school? No. If any man studied to know God, then God will know him? No. It simply says, if you love God, then you are known by... What is the greatest commandment when that lawyer tested Jesus? What was the answer? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all of your strength. And the second is like unto the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's all there is to it. We need to quit making it so complicated. 
We need to tell people, just love God. You'll be known by him. And that's what really counts in the big scope of all that I ever teach. If I do not teach you to love God, I fail. Because he'll say to you, depart, I don't know you. You don't love me. Does, can he tell who loves him? The Bible says he's our heavenly father. We cry out, Abba, Daddy. We have the greatest spiritual father. But we're not perfect as earthly parents, but can you tell when your kids are smoozing you for something? You know, they're, they're putting on the, the extra niceness. Oh, Daddy. And they snuggle up in your lap, you know. And I'm like, what do you want? I mean, come on. It's a giveaway. They're not that nice normally. They rub your shoulders a little. Can I ask you something? Now, my kids know I love it when they rub my shoulders. But when my kids do it, who never do it. And, and I'm, I'm grateful. I'm not going to turn it down. But I'm like, hey, what do you want? We can tell... When somebody is operating, at least most of the time, under false, uh, what's that word, pretense? Yeah. What makes you think God can't see right through your smoke screen? When you're sitting there trying to snow him. Oh God, I promise if you get me out of this one thing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be good from now on. You know, how many times do you think God heard that? <laughs> I want every one of you to hear from him someday. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter enter into my rest. Anyone here learned about that there's a rest that he's going to give us? His peace, his rest. Come enter into that. Boy, if that is not something our souls need in this day, with all of the things that freak us out and on the news, and we need to have that comfort of God's spirit guarding our hearts. The Bible says his spirit guards our hearts and minds with a peace far beyond all human comprehension. And I want to tell you that spirit is still real. And if you don't have it, you need to start filling up your little extra container. And if you just got a little bit to light the light, but it's not going to stay lit, you need to ask him for more. And as we close today, we want to just give you opportunity. If you need prayer, maybe maybe someone listening is backslidden. You know what the prophet cried out in the Old Testament? He said, come back. He, all you backsliders. I learned this from Pastor John Higgins taught me this too at men's prayer. He used to say, you'd be praying. God, we agree with the prophet. His prayer. To all you backsliders, come ye back to the Lord. Come out of your backsliding. What would happen to the church today in Kona if all the backsliders up and down our coast came out of their backslide? I mean, we would fill in every chair, in every fellowship. We would be overflowing. That's how many backsliders we have in Hawaii. But do you think it's just here in Hawaii? No. The Bible says in the last days, the love of many will wax cold. They're, they're turning away from the Lord all over the place. But as you see the day draw near, how many think the coming of the Lord's getting closer? Do we have any signs, wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, famines, earthquakes? I mean, we have every single one. 
Just read the next couple chapters of Matthew from where we just left off, and you'll see we don't have like any guarantee we're going to be here next week, which doesn't bum me out. I mean, if the Lord comes for his church, I'm out of here. But if you don't go in the rapture, I got news for you. You better, you better really cry out for his spirit because there's going to be some bad stuff coming down the pike. I look forward to that coming of the Lord. The whole New Testament ends with this verse. The grace of the Lord be with you. Even so, what did John pray? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Even so, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this glorious day that you've given us, this beautiful day out on the beach. I want to thank you for that nice breeze that's blowing through this place right now. And I ask that by you, by your Holy Spirit's work in each of us, that even as that sweet breath of uh, what, what in Hebrew, the meadow, the your breath blowing over the land, Lord, that it would be accompanied with the breathing of your Spirit to every believer here, that we would get a our lamps full, our, our extra flask full to overflowing from you. Just give us a portion of your spirit that we could shine brightly for you. Lord, guard us. Protect us from the, the things that the enemy would put before us to stumble us. Lead us not into temptation, you said, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. If your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m., on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information about Amazing Grace Kona, go to our website, amazinggracekona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.